Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. Let us pray. O Lord, you have given us your word for a light to shine upon our path. Grant us so to meditate on that word and to follow its teaching that we may find in it the light that shines more and more until the perfect day. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The scripture reading for today comes from the book of John 6, 41 to, 40, er, sorry, what, 41 to 51. Then the Jews began to complain about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not complain among yourselves. No one can come to me unless drawn by the father who sent me. And I will raise that person up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes this eternal life, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it, and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Our Old Testament reading this day comes from 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Listen now for the word of the Lord. Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house in the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people were sacrificing at the high places, however, because no house had yet been built in the name of the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David only. He sacrificed and offered incense at the high places. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the principal high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in, the dream, in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I should give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, my father David, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in the uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on the throne today. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, although I am only a little child. 
I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of the people whom you have chosen, a great people, so numerous they cannot be numbered or counted. Give your, serf, give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, able to discern between good and evil. For who can govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. God said to him, Because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, I now do according to your word. Indeed, I give you a wise and discerning mind. No one like you has been before you, and no one like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked both riches and honor all your life. No other king shall compare with you. If you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your life. Then Solomon awoke. It had been a dream. He came to Jerusalem where he stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. He offered up burnt offerings and offerings of well-being and provided a feast for all his servants. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, come into this place. Gather us here in your presence. Lord, meet us here with good news that will speak to the life we are living at home, in our workplace, in our schools. Reach us here, Lord, and meet us. May we know you and find you and experience the love you have for us this day. Amen. November 8th, 2016, we're going to elect a new president. And remarkably, somehow, the uh, journey towards that has somehow already begun. I had to look up on a website that Google, the great Google, brought to me, a place called Ballotpedia.org, to figure out who was running already. And I looked it up. There are 17 declared Republican candidates, and there are five more they think might declare. There are five declared Democratic candidates. There's a few more they think might declare. And then there is a Green candidate who has already declared. She ran in 2012. I'm sure you remember her clearly. I have to admit, I looked at that list, and if I were pressed right now, I couldn't give you all 17 names. I couldn't give you all 23 names. Can you? And maybe some of you can. There's a couple poli-sci majors around who probably could. But oh my goodness. What do you think it takes to govern this great nation? What will we look for when we look for candidates? What will we look for on November 8th? And what does it look like to the rest of the world that every four years we elect a new government? Now for us, we've been doing this for all of 200 years, but in the world scheme, that is a short blip. And what does it look like that a great, powerful nation like the United States changes its leaders? It might look unwise. It might look a bit scary to the rest of the world. What if the direction is completely different? What will that mean for our partners and our friends? What would it mean for our enemies? What will it look like that we change our government? And sometimes I think we do it a bit blasé and a little, oh yes, I'm going to vote. Who's running? Maybe I should lurk. 
And yet, we're going to change an entire government of a great, great nation. 1 Kings 3 tells us two ways to lead nations in a new direction. King Solomon is now the third king of the new nation of Israel. We think of Israel as this ancient place, but for Solomon, he's only the third king to rule. He's the third president, if you will. He's the third leader of this new nation. Where did Israel come from? It began as 12 tribes who all claimed Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as their ancestor. And these 12 tribes lived in this area of the Middle East, and they had stories, and they have history together. And eventually, they ended up enslaved in Egypt about 200 years or so before Solomon. And in Egypt, they discovered that they had to rely on God. And so they share history and they share stories. And in Egypt, they prayed for release from slavery. And God sent Moses. And Moses prayed that wonderful prayer, Lord, don't send me, send someone else. And God said, yes, you can take your brother Aaron with you. And so they went to Egypt and they professed and they cajoled and they prayed and eventually Pharaoh released and the people left and that should have been the beginning of an ending good news. But what happened? Golden calves happened, sin happened, fallibility happened. And so before they could enter the promised land that God was promising to them, God said that this generation would not be able to enter the promised land. And we think of that generation spending 40 years wandering on one side of the Jordan. And sometimes we think about them as if they had the worst part of the deal. But I think about them every now and then. I pause and I wonder, maybe they actually were the most blessed generation. Because every day they knew who God was. Every day they woke up and there was manna, bread from heaven on the grass before them. If they needed water, they went to the rock in Meribah and that was where the stream flowed out from when Moses had hit it and provided water. Every need they had was provided every day by God. There was no doubt. There was no wonder. And if there was, they had a new day to find it. And then when they craved meat, God provided pheasants. And then, as they do, as we would off to do, when we have what we want, we decide we're going to save it. We must save it. And then they tried to save it, and what happened? It rotted. So they had to go to bed that night wondering, will they eat tomorrow? They had to go to bed wondering, will God provide? And every day for 40 years, God provided. Maybe they were more blessed than we to know that every day God provides for them. Is God worthy of such faith? Is God worthy of our faith in such a way? So one way to lead a nation is to trust in God. So Solomon, the third king, is following King Saul, and then he's following King David, his father. Now, if we were to stop here, we can all come up with, well, many of us, there are many stories of David, and some of them are not so nice. There are some David stories where you're like, wow, at least I'm not David. I'm not a good person, but at least I didn't do that. And yet, what did David do, and what do we do when we sin and fall short of the Lord? David got on his knees, sat in the pew, bowed his head, and said, Lord, I am a sinner. Forgive me. And what does our God do? Our God forgives every sin. So Solomon is following 
David. David expanded Israel to the biggest borders it ever had. David expanded and brought peace. David taught people about God. David had people write down the stories. We believe that David is the one who said, write down all the stories and got the written Bible going. David did wonderful things in the sight of God. Was he human? Absolutely. Was he sinful? Absolutely. But did he keep following God? Absolutely. And now Solomon is following in those footsteps. Those are some big footprints to follow. So what will he do? How will he follow? So Solomon is worshiping. Solomon is celebrating God. And so he goes to Gibeon, a place the Bible tells us he has followed God. How will he lead? The story does begin with a little thing that he does do a little interesting thing. He marries Pharaoh's daughter. He marries Pharaoh's daughter. What does that do? It enables and ensures that he is protected on the southern border of Israel. No need for building a giant wall on the southern border. He is protected by this marriage. But then he goes and he's wondering, and God comes to him and says to him, ask what I should give you. Has there ever been such a loaded question? What would we ask for? What would our 45th president, I had to look that up too, I'm sorry. So I look that up and I find out our next one is our 45th president. What would the 45th president ask God for? Ask what I should give you. Would we ask for long life? Would we ask for riches? Would we ask for death to our enemies? King Solomon has many of the same concerns that our next 45th president will have. Imagine the complex issues. Most of us know many of them intimately. Complex issues like building a strong economy, creating jobs, creating a good education system, maintaining a good education system. Will those people know how to fish? Will they know how to farm? Will they know how to make clay pots? Will they know how to work iron into skies and machetes and swords? Will they know how to educate the next generation? Will they know how to take care of health care? Will they be educated? Will there be housing taken care of? Will we be supporting the poor? Will there be good health care? Now, I'm not sure what King Solomon had in mind for health care. And we all know that's an argument we're going to have. And so, what is it? There, you can imagine there are so many pieces of the political puzzle for our king or our president. There must be at least 50 major issues. I love when people say, well, how can you like him or her on, based on this? Don't you know they said this? Well, I'm not a one-issue person. I may not like that issue where they stand. But there's 50 other issues. There's 50 other choices, 50 more political party planks that Solomon would have to deal with. So God says, ask what I should give you. A few weeks ago in June, I was in Jalapa, Guatemala. I was leading a mission trip. I sent a bunch of people with good leadership with Mark Buchanan to run a vacation Bible school. I thought I'd stay with the construction because that's where things get a little bit more messy, not knowing this would be literal. I arrive, and uh, we are in this church structure, but there's no roof or anything, and we're building a kitchen, and there are just trenches in maybe 20 by 20, the size of this um, chancel, and... uh, Juan, 
the construction man, a short, stout, strong-looking man, goes up to Kenneth, the 18-year-old translator, and Juan starts talking. He must say 150 words. Kenneth turns to me and says, Juan thinks you should buy boots. (laughs) I asked for more information. Kenneth tells me Juan says there's water and you need water boots. Water boots will keep your feet dry. You should go, we should send someone to the market to buy boots. It's my first day on the trip. I am not really thinking perfectly. I've been up for about 23 hours the day before traveling. I've had a good night's sleep, but I'm like, that wasn't on the packing list. I did not tell the youth to plan water boots. So I go over to the trench. I don't know what I was expecting to find, but I looked in the trench, and there was water all the way around the trench. And he says, yeah, the water's six to nine inches deep. Water boots will keep your feet dry. You should have water boots. And I'm thinking, we didn't plan for water boots. I don't know what it costs. I don't want to go to the marketplace. Why do we need boots? Why do we need boots? So I turned to the leaders. Should we buy boots? I turned to the student leaders. What do you think? Should we go buy boots? And they have no idea why I'm asking, but good people that they are, they just shrug, talk a little bit why boots would be good, ask me what my concern with boots are. They're looking a little, and I'm, oh, what should I do? And then I remember, Juan thinks we need boots. We're in rainy season. It had rained every day before I arrived in Jalapa. I'm a little terrified because my weather app tells me it's supposed to rain every day we're in Jalapa. And I know we're doing this outdoor construction project. So I'm thinking, oh no. And then I ask them, what do you think it'll cost? And they say, ah, 60, 70 quartzels. And I'm still not good at math. It's the first day of the trip. I cannot figure out what that means in US dollars. And I'm like, just kind of, your head's just kind of, overwhelmed, and I'm thinking, Juan says we need boots. And a question I have for myself now looking back is, can I learn from Juan? Can I learn from Juan? Am I teachable? When we get youth ministry together, and I'm sure this is true in the rest of our ministries, we ask a question. People will say, what does it take to be a youth leader or go on a mission trip? I have parents ask, oh, that sounds fun. Can I go on this trip? And we have four criteria, and none of these are going to surprise you, I hope. The first one, do you love Jesus? Um, Most people say yes, which is wonderful. Um, But it's not something I'm going to teach adults on a mission trip. We're going to teach it here in the pulpit. We're going to teach it in Bible studies. But we're not going to teach it on the trip. The second thing, do you love teenagers? This takes out a lot of people right there. Because, you know, we like where they're going to end up, right? We like college students. But seventh graders? Sophomores? This continual thing. We'll have wonderful moments with sophomores. And I will say to adults about once a trip or once an hour, the word sophomoric comes from sophomore. So... They're going to have moments when they're absolutely right in with you, having intelligent discussions about politics and Jesus, and other times they are doing things you're like, what? Do you love teenagers? I can't teach you that in youth ministry. You have to come in loving teenagers like we do. The third one hangs up a few other people. Do you attend worship? Uh, You need to go and worship. A requirement is that you attend worship two to three times a month. We know you're going to travel. There's going to be months you're not doing that. We understand that. But is your default Sunday morning, I'm going to church? Now, for college students, we understand their life's a little different. They don't sleep at the same hours I sleep. So maybe 
My question for them is, are you in a Bible study? Are you in a worship experience? Are you spending time talking about and loving Jesus? Is there a time worship is a part of your life? Because if it's not, you're not yet ready to model and lead teenagers. And the last one is teachable. Are you teachable? Are you that person who's going to listen to something that we say on a trip and say, wow, let me think about that and maybe engage? Or are you the person that as soon as I speak, you're going to say to me, well, why did you do that? Why didn't you do this? Didn't you know so-and-so did this? My former youth leader at my other church, the good one, did this. (laughs) Are you teachable? Are you teachable from Juan? the construction man, man. Am I teachable from that 10th grader? So we were eating lunches, and our lunches were cold cuts. But I'm in Jalapa, Guatemala, and cold cuts don't look like cold cuts where I live in the States. I know they tell me that's ham, but that does not look like ham. They tell me that's turkey, and I'm like, that might be a bird, but that is not a turkey bird. (laughs) And I'm the leader, so what do you do as a leader? You smile and say, lunch. And I make myself peanut butter and jelly. I tried some ham, but it just does I just, I said, you know, could we do something else for lunch? And the student said, yes. I said, why don't we do grilled cheese and tuna melts? Oh, could we do that? Yeah, we can do that. So we go in, I go in with a student into this room. They say, oh, there's an uh, oven in there. You can use that. So we go in there, and I do everything in my power to light that oven nothing. I'm turning things. I'm checking. I check behind it. Maybe there's a valve. Nothing. We cannot get it lit. Finally, I or the student says, well, maybe there's a valve on the outside. Where the Okay, so we go around, and yes, he is exactly right. There is a valve on the outside, but there is no gas. <laughs> so I, I ask the translator, and Kenneth comes back and says, oh, yes, we don't keep the gas there because someone might steal it overnight. Would you like to use it? We'll bring gas for tomorrow. That sounds great. Then I turn back to the student, and the student says to me, so you're going to cook? And he, he knows me well enough to know that's not really the best thing. He says, are you going to cook 40 sandwiches on that tiny stove? And I'm deer in the headlights. I am looking at him thinking, yes, because I can't eat another ham sandwich. And then a sophomore says, I can do that. I think I could do that. Can I do that? And then a junior says, I'd love to help him. We can do that. RJ, do you mind if we do that? Are we teachable? Can we let that student cook lunch for 40 people on this bizarre propane stove? Can we let them bring lunch to us all? Are we teachable? Can we learn from others? Can I learn from Juan? Is Solomon teachable? Can we learn from Democratic senators? Can we learn from Republican governors? Can we learn new ideas? Can we learn from the Green Party? Can we learn from the independents? Can we learn? Are we teachable for something new? At the end of the week in Guatemala, we go ziplining. It's a thing to do in Central America. So I arranged for ziplining. Some of you know this. I don't like heights. I'm a little nervous here. I think I'm all right. (laughs) I don't like heights. I really don't like the balcony. 
I don't like heights, but I have done a lot of high ropes because teenagers love that experience, and I love facing my fear and overcoming it. I did not know what fear was in Guatemala. So we sign up, we're going, I'm excited, I'm nervous. Everyone knows there's one student in RJ who is a little afraid, but we're going to do this. I'm in the back group because if something goes wrong, I want to be able to come forward. You can't go backward on a zip line. So I'm in the last group. We're walking up, and we are way walking up. I am sweating. I'm thinking I can't breathe. There's no air. We are walking back and forth, back and forth. We get to the place, and we are pretty much exposed on this mountain looking out over Lake Attilan. And you can see a volcano in the distance. We are up there, and the kids are all chatting and very, very excited. And I'm getting scareder and more scared. I walk towards the front where I can see the zip line. It's the longest zip line I've ever seen. And I am looking down, and I take the time to count the building. There are 18 stories in the building that I am looking down upon. I realize that if I took an 18-story building, I could set it on top of that 18-story building, and I can still see the roof. I am really high up, and I am very, very scared. Eventually, it's my turn to go. Sean Tishner is behind me. The rest, everyone else has gone. Everyone's loved it. They're cheering. You can hear joy in their hearts. This man who speaks exactly no English is tying me to the material, and I speak exactly no Spanish, and he pulls this, and he yanks this, slaps me on the shoulder, and smiles. Do we trust him? Do we trust him? Do we trust him literally with our lives? And now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. I do not know how to go out or come in, and your servant is in the midst of a people whom you have chosen, a great people so numerous they cannot be numbered or counted. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, able to discern between good and evil, for who can govern this, your great people? What did Saul ask for? An understanding heart, a listening heart, an ability to lead. Give me wisdom, Solomon asks for, and God is pleased. And God said God would give Solomon a listening heart so that God could lead God's people. And then because he asked for something that wasn't self-focused, because he was focused on other people, God says, I will also give you great wealth and victories. Can we trust Juan? I bought the boots. Actually, Ryan Lindstrom bought the boots. He went and bought the boots. And for whatever reason, I don't think there's a direct correlation. It never does rain on us. It rains on the VBS, folks. It rains elsewhere in the city of Jalapa, but it never rains on us. That first day, we get the boots on after waiting around for an hour, and some of us step into that six to eight inches of water, and they start bailing. And then when we get underneath the water, we discover there is mud up to your shin, and we are told to keep digging the mud until you hit solid ground. In some places, that's only six feet down. In another place, it's nine feet down. We have a great picture that makes no sense to anyone else of Ben Lindstrom holding up, he's 6'2", holding up a bucket of mud above his head. And all you see is the bucket of mud being grabbed by another student. All of us who were there know, ah, that's Ben Lindstrom. The rest of you, it's a strange picture of mud floating in darkness. Dig slimy, stinky mud. 
can we learn from Juan? 37 of us had some guide pull and yank on our harness and slap us on the side. 37 of us pushed off and flew a thousand meters. That's a minute and a half for those of you afraid. A minute and a half, 400 feet in the air, looking down on the volcano, on the lake, on the building, on the jungle. Risk, trust, faith. Teachable. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I invite you to join with me in our prayers for the day. Let us pray. God, we come to you now to speak what's on our minds and deep in our hearts. When we actually pause to notice the world around us, the landscape, when we pause long enough to enjoy the sunshine and appreciate the rain, we cannot help but to remember that you are a creator God and that it's by your spark that the world came into being. When we see people not caring for creation, we are heartbroken. When we recognize our own part in the abuse of our world, we are ashamed. So we pray now for this earth and ask for your blessings upon it. Guide those who work to protect wildlife and restore forests, who preserve the oceans. We cry out for those who suffer because of war in their lands. Protect them. Watch over the refugees of this vast world, enormous movements of people for personal and economic reasons. Heal those who are injured. Guide those who travel. Save those who are abused. We pray for those who are convinced that war is the only way to resolve the challenges of this life. Heal their hearts. Show them the way to peace. Give them a mission, a future, and brighter prospects. Open the eyes of those blinded by violence. To you, O God, we lift our towns and cities and neighborhoods. We lift the countryside around us. And we share before you the needs of families of all shapes and sizes. Newly blessed families begun just yesterday. Watch over women and men and children. Watch over all partners who make a life together. Shine your light in the dark places and reveal the needs of our communities so that those with resources and compassion might go with healing. Encourage us to reach out to our neighbors, not just to live behind closed doors and to respect the boundaries, but encourage us to heal the brokenness, to step into positions and places where there is difficulty, to come with us in places of addiction or abuse or neglect or stress. Show us that we can bear your light into the dark corners of the world. Oh God, at this time, we pray for our children, our students, elementary, middle, and high school. We pray for students about to embark on their college life yet again. Help us to help them draw close to you. Help us to be witnesses to your mercy in the world. Help us to ground our lives in worship and work and learning. Give us a new chance to live our lives as your followers, 
and to shape the lives of the school and the children around us. May our actions, may our words, may our songs, may our joy reflect your grace in the world. Send us out from this place into your community as people call to demonstrate your love. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for loving us despite our flaws. Thank you for bringing us together around a common purpose. Thank you for offering leaders to come and to share their gifts among us, resident ministers, peer ministers, who are on the front lines of care and compassion, of worship and of teaching. Help us to realize that we're all connected and that we're all your witnesses sharing in the ministry of this, your church. We thank you that you have brought us together to sing, to pray, and to hear your word. Now bless us as we offer the words that our Lord Jesus taught us to share and to say in one voice, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.